real Christianity. The main text is Jude chapter 1 verse 3. And in Jude chapter 1 verse 3, it tells us and uses a particular phrase, which I'm going to expand on. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, that means the writer is saved and the person, the people he's writing to are also uh, saved. Okay? He said, I found it necessary to write to you again, then exhorting you, which basically means encouraging you. Now look at this now. To contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, please note this. Anytime you see these two words in the Bible put together in the New Testament, the faith, the, the definite article, and faith is talking about Christianity. Okay? The faith, not a faith, not the faith of a man, but the faith is talking about Christianity. The Bible says in the book of Acts of Apostles, many, Acts chapter 6, many of the priests, okay, they were converted to the faith. Acts chapter 6, I believe it's verse 7 or so. The faith. So that's talking about Christianity as given by God. A great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Acts 6, 7. It means they gave their lives to Christ. So when somebody asks you, which I used to ask in those days, are you of the faith? They're saying, are you a Christian? So when you see that, those two words put together in the New Testament, it's talking about what? Come on, speak to me, church, please. Christianity. I'm one of those preachers, sorry, I have to say, maybe you're coming for the first time, that needs a lot of encouragement. So okay, I'm kind of like, I'm a bit shy when I speak. I'm not a public speaker like that. I'm very shy. So... I'm not like him. This is my daughter like sitting there and she can just speak and speak and speak and it's a thing. For me, that's not really my thing. I'm kind of like very shy. Okay? So, the faith means Christianity, right? Alright. So, I want to talk to you about the real gospel and the fake gospel. Because actually today now, the fake gospel is more prevalent than the real gospel. In other words, the fake gospel is out there a lot. You know, I, like I told you, and you know, I trained as a pharmacist, worked as a pharmacist, at least when I was in Nigeria and when I was living in London, England. One of the things that is very prevalent in Nigeria is something called fake drugs. I know, I mean, many of you have heard about fake drugs before? Yeah, fake drugs. You know, and because I'm a pharmacist, we are trained and we know what to do to be able to identify, you know, what is fake from what is the real thing, you know. Well, what is fake from what is the real thing? Because that's what I spent my whole life as a teenager studying in, the, in school. Okay? The real gospel versus what the Bible calls different. The Bible just calls it different, but it's fake. That's what it, what, what it means. Different means different from the one God gave us. Okay? Which means it's fake. So the, well, let's look at the fake gospel. The fake gospel has a pretend form of godliness, but denies the power. And I'll tell you what that means. 2 Timothy chapter 3, from verse 1 to 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, from verse 1 to 5. The fake gospel, the different gospel, it has a pretend form of religiosity, a pretend form of godliness, but it denies the power. And I, I will explain that, that to you in a minute. But let's look at what it says in Scripture. Know this, that in the last days, and we are in the last days now, Perilous times that come, dangerous times, and that's why we're teaching this, because it's very dangerous out there now. Dangerous times that come. 
Men will be lovers of themselves. So he's now giving us the characteristic, some of the characteristics of this different gospel, free gospel. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That is the key distinguishing characteristic of the different gospel and the real gospel. Or you could say fake Christianity and real Christianity. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Please listen carefully to me. Real Christianity, if you have the real genuine salvation, one thing the Holy Spirit will do in our heart when we get saved is Romans 5, verse 5. He puts the love of God or the God kind of love in our hearts. The God kind of love in our hearts. Romans 5, 5. We don't have that love. It is, it is, that love is not natural to a human being. Selfless love is not natural. To have selfless love is not natural. Holiness is not natural. Integrity is not natural. Purity is not natural. These are not natural traits of a human being. Are you following now? They're not natural. So you can't go to school for it. You can't motivate yourself to it. You can't have a new year resolution into it. You cannot, you know, resolve yourself into it. You can't will yourself into it. It has to come externally and be inputted into you by the Holy Spirit when you give your life. Now, it is this work of salvation, the Holy Spirit inside us now, that put this love in, that makes us lovers of God more than we love pleasure. So when we see people today that say, I'm a Christian, and they love pleasure at the expense of loving God, something is wrong. Church, are you with me? Something is wrong. Something is wrong. Okay? Then they have a form of godliness, but denying his power. Then the Bible now tells them, he said, he was telling the people that were real Christians, he said, of such people, what should you do? Oh, come on, speak to me, church. Of such people, what do you do? Turn away. Now, let's look at this. This is the NKJV version, right? Let's look at this in the New Living Translation. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that will make them godly. They act religious, but the power that can make them godly, they reject that. They don't believe that the way their lives is being lived should be consistent with what they profess. There's a discordance between what they are saying and what they are doing. Instead of such people, what should we do? Stay away. In your schools, you might meet people that are inviting you to fellowship, and what they are saying is contrary to what they are doing. I met a, a, a woman brought a 22-year-old um, guy to me. I went to preach in, the, in, in, in Maryland, in the U.S., and the woman brought her 22-year-old son to me. Son was looking a little bit unkept. I asked him, ma'am, what's please, how can I help? What's the problem? He said this boy was in school in year one. He was doing very well and met a group of people that called themselves Christians in the school and um, they told him that um, 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 Jesus is about to come soon and that heaven is more important and that he should drop out of school. So the boy stopped going to classes. He didn't go to class anymore. So the, and they told the boy, the boy is not going to school. He said he's not going to school anymore. 
So they brought him to me and that as she took him. The boy had flat out refused. He's no longer going to school. So I just finished leading one of my sessions on that day. So the boy they brought him to me and they brought him to my hotel room. Uh, the mom and some other people and the little boy and the, sorry, the young man, 22 year old. So I started speaking to him. Why don't you want to go to school? He said, because he wants to serve God. I said, look at me. I'm serving God. And I went to school and if I don't go to school, I won't be able to serve God as effectively as I am doing right now. I said, let me give you examples in the scripture. Do you know a man called, have you heard about a man called Apostle Paul? He said, oh yeah, yeah. I said, have you heard about Moses? He said, yes. I said, okay, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7 verse 22. So he opened and the Bible says, Moses was taught in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. This is not scriptural wisdom. And it was powerful. I said, God used him mightily. What about Apostle Paul? He was a lawyer. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. God used him. What about Luke? He was a doctor. God used him to capture the history of the church. I said, look at all these people that God used. These people were learned. I said, so Daniel, look at Daniel. He spent Daniel chapter 1 verse 5. He spent three years learning the language and literature of the Chaldeans. See how God used him. Three years of training. This is, uh, this is post, postgraduate training because he was already trained in Israel before he was trained in Babylon. I said, so what are you talking about? Jesus believed in training. So finally I showed him Luke chapter 6 verse 40. A disciple, is like his, a disciple that is not above his master, but a disciple that is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. I said, so you better be perfectly trained. You see? They had confused him. That's not real Christianity. That's not real Christianity. So, this is a very important thing. The real gospel and a real Christian is not known by the church they go to. A fake Christian can go to a real church. Can I speak here? A very fake Christian can go to a very real church. So because you see somebody in church sitting next to you that you don't know, does not, and they might even be serving, going up and down, up and down in the church. They might even be the one that are seemingly are close to the pastor or the environment of the pastor of the church. And so oh, it's kind of like close to the pastor, you know. No, no, that does not make the person a Christian. Because you were born in a bakery doesn't make you a bread. You understand? How do I know you have heard the real gospel? This is how I know. The real gospel, the bottom line of the real gospel is that it must lead to change lives or transformation. There must be trans. I'm not talking of miracles. I'm not talking of jobs. I'm not talking of open doors. I'm not talking about, oh my God, oh my God, he proposed. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... I mean, what do you expect? You're going out with him. What do you expect? You don't expect him to propose? You expect him to dispose? Of course, he has to lead to proposal. Praise God. Anyway, so change life, transformation. You, you should be able to have a testimony, not testimony of jobs only. That's good. Testimony of these healings. That's good. Testimony of this. That's great. But testimony of this is who I used to be. And I have people to testify of who I used to be. But this is who I am now. And I have people to testify of who I am now. Do you understand what I've said? That's transformation. That's what is real Christianity. You can't keep the same old way of life. I've even had the gospel without any desire. Key. 
desire in you to change and to experience transformation and say you're a Christian. That's not true. One of the things Christianity, the Holy Spirit does for us immediately when it comes to our lives is to give us a level of dissatisfaction with the status quo in the world. Suddenly, you don't feel satisfied with it again. After I gave my life to Christ, of course, I still smoked. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to hold anything back from you. I was a chain smoker before I gave my life to Christ. And after I gave my life to Christ, okay, I still lit up cigarettes. But what just happened to me was I just realized in that week I gave my life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ on the 8th of June, 1995. I was 25 years old. At that week I gave my life to Christ, something just, I still lit the same consolate mental life, lit, lit long, many, many, many hundreds of it. But suddenly the desire to continue to do it, I did feel it. There was, there was a disconnect. What I wanted to do inside me was different from what I was doing outside of me. And I, I just felt something was just not right. Nobody preached to me. Nobody told me. My pastor never preached on this, change your life. Never. He just preached the real gospel and left the Holy Spirit to deal with us. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit dealt with us. This is, this is real Christianity. There must be change, transformation. Let's look at Colossians 1, 3 to 6. Please, this is very important. Please don't forget this scripture. If you don't remember the whole scripture today, just remember this one verse. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, NLT, New Living Translation. If you're talking to your friends, you're having a conversation with your friends about real Christianity, not real Christianity, remember Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Please, what should you remember? What translation? NLT. And I'll tell you why, because it makes it very clear. So let's look at it now. We always pray for you, verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you, for we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's salvation now. And your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard of the truth. That means you heard of the truth of the good news. Good news is another word for gospel. Is that right? Come on, church. Is that right? Okay, so you've heard of the good news. Now, what is this gospel doing? Look at it, verse 6. Look at it. This same good news, that's the same gospel, that came to you is the same one going out all over the world and it is bearing fruit everywhere. What is the fruit? By changing lives, just as it changed your lives. If what somebody is hearing is not changing their life, they have not yet had the true gospel. If anybody, any of your friends, anybody, or you yourself, what you have heard does not move you, motivate you, inspire you for your life to change, you have not had the full gospel. You have had some things. You might have had a charismatic preacher preach. You might have had somebody you really believe in talk, but you have not had the real gospel. The real gospel changes lives. So if someone says, I've been a Christian, and they don't have a testimony of changed lives, they are not a Christian. Church, are you hearing me? I'm very passionate about this. If somebody says, I'm a Christian and all of that, oh, and somebody says, oh, well, you know, I, just, I don't want to judge them, because, you know, you can't judge. Only God knows. Not, all, not only God knows. God is not going to marry the person. I'm going to be the one to commit my life to marry you. You're asking me to go out with you, right? God is not going to go out with you. It's me. So God can know. I need to know also. It will be unfair for God to know and me not know. Do you understand now? Oh yeah, I need to know. I need to know. 
Someone say, oh, it's only God, you know, but pastor, you can't really tell who's a Christian. God knows the heart. Yeah, but I'm not marrying your heart. I'm marrying you. And it's not only your heart I'm marrying. Okay? I'm marrying everything about you. So I need to know. And since I don't have uh, a way of seeing your heart, I can see the fruits of what is in your heart. And the fruit, the main fruit is change lives. What's the scripture again? One six NLT, yeah, that's it. So for so for example, you're in business, you want to employ somebody, so or you want to do business with somebody. I met a guy in church, you know, guy comes up with a lot of business ideas, he's very smart and all of that. Great, great. You want to get into partnership with the guy? Fantastic, I like it. I love partnerships, joint ventures, strategic partnerships. Great. We should do that as Christians. But just because the person is in church, carries a massive Bible that has been colored, you know, and all of that marked and all of that, uh, with all manners of um, book. What is called this in book? Bookmarks, yeah, thank you very much. Bookmarks falling off the tiot in the Bible, pages are falling off. And they say, Oh, yeah, <laughs> I read my Bible all the time. <laughs> I'm picking up the carcasses of the Bible from the floor. He said, no, 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 I read my Bible all the time. It does not make the person a Christian. I've seen a lot of things in my few days that I've been, I've only been a pastor for a few days, and I've seen a lot of things in these few days 22 years, almost 22 years now. One man showed up. In my office one day, so he's been writing me emails. Pastor, I need to come and discuss a business plan with you. I want to prove my business, a business plan. I want to prove my business. So I said, oh, sure, sure. Man, I want you to mentor me in this area. I want so he showed up. I give him an appointment. Showed up. And laid out for me what you call a business plan. And he said to me, you know, Pastor, and I've been seeing this guy in church regularly. And the guy will come to church. He will make sure I see him in the place, sit in the place that is very prominent. First service, you will sit there. I say, amen, pastor. Amen, pastor. Praise God. I receive it, pastor. I say, ah, this guy is a deep brother. <laughs> Only for the brother to come in. Laid out his plan for me. The plan was about um, um, basically like a fashion business, in a way. Fashion business. Just to put it that way. So he rolled out the whole plan. It was a very good plan. But this is part of what is amazing. When I was a young, younger guy, I was I'm really into business, and I also went to business school, so I understand business very well. He now said something to me. He said, Pastor, if you, if, you know, if you do this, and I, if you, you know, basically wanted me to do some things and join him and talk about the business and all of that, he said he was going to give me one third of the business. Now, if I have not experienced change lives, that would have been attractive to me. But because I've experienced change lives, that was unattractive completely to me. As a matter of fact, that for me was a deal breaker. Why would you want to give me one third of your business that I've done nothing? What value am I adding to you that requires one third? And if you're going to give me anything, if I'm going to add value to you, you have not even judged the value I'm bringing to the table. And you're suddenly offering me one third. Something is wrong. So, so he said everything was good. So I said, okay, brother, that's fine. Let me go and pray about it. I just said that to buy myself time. I said, you don't worry about it. I'll go pray about it. Don't worry, it's okay. So he said, oh, okay, but I'll, I'll come back next week. And so I said, oh, sure, sure, don't worry. Just to get him off and let, him, let me just, you know. <laughs> I already knew what my answer was. So as he left, and I've not done that concerning anybody in my life. I've never done this. The only person I've ever done it for. As he left my office, five minutes, suddenly the Holy Spirit ministered to me. Check his name. So I took his name, and I put it in. Enter. Lord have mercy. Click, 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 click. One or two other inside, inside, inside website. Then I saw FBI, something wanted. First, I first nailed down. 
You are the reason why we are living, Jehovah. That's how I would have been preaching a message like this. Real Christianity. Three FBI agents would have showed up and grabbed my pants <laughs> and just dragged me away. And you would have said, you see, we've been suspecting this man all this while. <laughs> you know, it's not everything that glitters that is gold. Change lives. It will defend you. The integrity of a man is the security of a man. Change lives. So let's look at the experience of the Galatian church. Paul said to the Galatian church, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Paul called it a different gospel. And now I want you to look at the severe penalty for those that are preaching this gospel, this fake gospel, that are perpetuating this gospel, whether they know it or they don't know it. Okay? People that are professing it, talking about it. It says, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So even in the days of Paul, there were people that were perverting the gospel. And today we see them a lot. People that are perverting the gospel. I cannot understand in my whole life how somebody can say they're a pastor of a church, a leader of a church, or a Christian leader, whether a proprietor of a TV station or, or preaching in the church, Okay, like I'm preaching right now. And, and the Bible says, in season and out of season, preach the word. Preach the word in season, out of season. What should they preach? And the person spends their whole time talking about vaccines. Take the vaccine, don't take the vaccine. This is what happened, this is not what happened. That's not what Jesus said we should preach. He said we should preach what? The word. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 15 says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart, which will feed you with knowledge and with understanding. Not, not, this is not, somebody says, oh, but it says knowledge, you can be the knowledge of vaccine. No, preach the word. Second Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. That's what it says. The word. Perverted gospel. The church is not a political arena. The church is not a political arena. The church is not just a place for community. It's beyond that. Also, we say, well, this is our main thing in this church is community. No, wrong. The church is the learning ground of our faith. Of course, community is part of the blessing. Okay, when I went to pharmacy school, all right, I was in the community of students in the university. I was in a, a sub-community of pharmacy students. I was in a sub-community of political leaders in the pharmacy department. You know, you, you, you are in a community, of course. But that's not, I didn't go to university to be part of a community of, of, community of students. I went to university to become a pharmacist. Let's keep the main goal, the main goal. Do you understand? Like they say in my university in those days, don't major on minor. Don't major on the minor, okay? Don't take an elective course and become defective. So he said, look at what Paul said. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, Preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let the person be accursed. Look at the next verse. He repeats himself for emphasis. Verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anybody preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let the person be what? It's a very severe thing from the mindset of God. 
that this gospel that is out there, fake gospel, that denies that there should be life transformation, that tells people you can just live your life the way you want to live your life, and that's fine, God just loves you, is a perverted gospel. You are that person is not a Christian. And all those that preach it, it's not me saying this, and it's just the scripture. It says they are cursed. Now, listen to this then. So what are the four key requirements of true Christianism? You're going to write this down, and I'm going to unpack it as we go all throughout this series. Are you ready, guys? All right. So, number one, the first requirement of true Christianity is that there must be a conviction on the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Please don't run away when you hear the word doctrine. Please, don't let it throw you off. The word doctrine is just a very... Uh, uh, it's just a word that theologians and Bible scholars use for a body of knowledge. That's what it means. A body of knowledge that is being taught. A body of knowledge. So when I, if you go to school to study medicine, for example, you will do the doctrine of anatomy, the doctrine of physiology, the doctrine of biochemistry. Are you following the gist? Aha. Uh-huh. So that's it. You've got to do. So it's just a body of knowledge that has been put together to be taught. But you know, you know, Bible scholars, they like to use big, big words, you know. Doctrine. Fundamental doctrine. And what are the four? You must be fully, this is very important, friends. You must be fully persuaded on what the Bible says. The Bible, not denomination. The Bible says on these seven key things. What the Bible says about God. What the Bible says about man. What the Bible says about sin. Three. What the Bible says about Jesus Christ, four. What the Bible says about salvation, five. What the Bible says about the final judgment, six. And what the Bible says about eternity. Please write these things down. I'll try and go through this in this series. This is very important. You have to know this thing. You don't need to know them in depth like probably somebody like me because, I mean, I studied theology, you know, on my own. I studied biblical Hebrew. I studied biblical Greek because I, just, I love to know what I'm doing, okay? You might not need to get into all of that level of, um, uh, um, you know, understanding. But you need to know at least, what does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about sin? What does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? What does the Bible say about salvation? For example, let's talk about salvation for one minute. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, there is no other name, no other name, no other name given under heaven through which men must be saved. So you can't find someone that says, uh, well, you know, God loves everybody. We have Hindus in our church. We have Muslims in our church. We have idol worshippers in our church. We're not condemning anybody because God loves everybody. Wrong. That's not the gospel. Come on, guys. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Thank you, Holy Spirit. That's not the gospel. The gospel does not force anybody. The gospel, Jesus Christ said it. I did not even come to condemn anybody. But I came to give them the option. To show them a way. Now, they, they are left to make the choice. If they choose the right way, they are not condemned. If they don't choose the right way, they have already chosen the consequences. And part of that consequence is to be condemned. So in the church of Jesus Christ, there's no Hindu. In the church of Jesus Christ, there's no Muslim. I mean, I'm not saying in the church physically here, but those whose names are written in heaven, you must believe Jesus Christ and accept him. Amen? 
Now, some of you are even seated here right now. You're struggling with that because you're saying to yourself, well, come on, Pastor, I have some Muslim friends. They're far better than even people that call themselves Christians. That, you know, that's why we're doing this. Because the issue is not the works you are doing. The issue is you accepting what Christ God is giving. And God God is giving is Christ. To as many as believed in him, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, be, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17. Look at verse 17, which we don't read normally. Verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Keep going. But that he might that the world through him might be saved. Keep going, please. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. We don't read it up to that part. But he who does not believe is condemned when? Already. So this is the gospel. This is the gospel. We have to have a conviction on it, on the fundamental doctrines. We must have a conviction on these fundamental doctrines. All right? And I'm going to, we're going to talk about that in this series. It will help you, to help you tremendously in your Christian faith for you to be stabilized. Okay? Number two, you need them, because of the conviction you have of fundamental doctrines, to have the courage then to witness to people, to evangelize. We are not evangelizing for the church to grow. I'm not motivated to talk to Christ about somebody so that the church can grow. The church growing, please listen carefully. The church growing is what in chemistry you would call a byproduct. That was not the original thing we're going for. It just happens as a byproduct. That's one of the pecs. But it's not the real The real thing is not for a particular local church to grow or a denomination to grow or a particular church to grow. You know, I've had people many, there was many years ago, many years ago, this is a true life story. A woman came to me and said to me, many, many years ago, maybe 2004, 2005, so that's many years ago. True life story. Came to me. So this woman, I've not seen this woman in church for a long time. Then suddenly I saw her one day. Hey, how are you doing? What? We've been following up and following up on her and she just has not responded. Then suddenly she shows up in one church one day. Hey, we've been trying to reach you several times. The whole department have been following up on you. Nobody, you know, you've not responded. How are you? He said, oh, Pastor, I'm fine. It's all okay. And I could see that, well, she was fine and she was fine. She left alone. She came back, you know, with something else. So, yeah, it was a big pregnancy. Ah, so, all right. Well, praise God. So, you got married and all of that. So, you brought well, That's fine. But um, even if you go to not be around, you know, 2004, the church was still a bit, I mean, the whole church was basically this. So, I could see everybody. So, I mean, so, I mean, you let us know kind of like that. So, I, I spoke to her. She said, no, 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 Pastor, I'm giving birth in about, in about two weeks and all of that. I said, oh, first of all, so, praise God. So, where, where's your husband? Where's the lucky man? He said, well, Pastor, it's a long story. All right. And in those days, as a younger pastor, uh, the church was still a bit, you know, so I had time for long stories. <laughs> I see have times for stories now, but you know, just maybe not a long one. But anyway. So I had time for the long service. So I said, all right, sure, 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 sure. I, why do only one service? After I preach, what am I doing again? I sit down. So she came to tell me the long story. Practically, the long story was basically, she had met this man, was a married man. Uh, the man was an unbeliever. The man had promised her something, 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 something. It was going to be the third wife. But before the process of the third wife, she had to, she went through, anyway, this problem. Anyway, some things happened. She got pregnant. She was about to give birth to the man she's not married to. That is married to two women already. All right. 
And she said, so she said, so she said Pastor, what she, want, what she wants to do is that he's convinced the man. And that when she gives birth, uh, after the naming ceremony, she wants, she doesn't want to do the naming ceremony. She wants to do dedication. And in those days, the way we do dedication in the house of praise, this is just our culture, okay? Culture of house of praise. We want, we want to do baby dedication. It's a big deal for us. We dance, we rejoice, we dance forward with the baby, you know, the parents, the father of the baby hands over the baby to the, uh, you know, officiating pastor, they pray over the baby and all of that. So she wants to do that. So I said to her, I said, you, but I can't do that. I was the one I used to do all the baby dedication then. I don't, I, I've been, you know, kicked out of that job. Somebody that's better than me does it now. Uh, but I used to do all of that then. So I said, ma'am, but you know we can do it. He said, yeah, pastor, but I would really love you to do this, pastor. I would really love you to do this. So she was trying to appeal to my mercy. I said, you know, as a person, as a human being, I understand and I want to do it. But I'm not the head of the church. The one that is the head of the church has laid down the policy. The baby will be dedicated. You bring the baby to my office. I will pray every covenant prayer you can imagine in this world for that baby. Because the baby has done nothing wrong. I will do it. I said, but not for you to dance forward in front of the church. We can't make a show of what is not right. Then she now wanted to sweeten the deal for me. She now said something, which is where I'm really going. She said, Pastor, I'm going to invite all my friends to come to church. Which means her mindset was that in witnessing to people, she was doing the pastor a favor. And that's what many people still think. That's why they don't witness. So I don't like what the pastor of that church did. I don't like what they did. So I can't, I'm not talking to my friends. No, wrong. If that's your premise of talking to your friends about Christ, you're completely wrong. The premise of talking to people about Christ is because you love them so much you don't want them to perish. That's the biblical premise. Oh, I love you so much, I cannot afford you. You know, oh, God Almighty is my witness when I was a teenager. When I was lost in those, my, in those my chain smoking and drinking. One day I was coming from club. It was about 12 midnight or 1 a.m. or something like that. A friend of mine had dropped me at the top of my street. So I was now walking down my street. My house was towards the end of the street. I was walking. Did I say walking? I was staggering. Staggering, zigzagging all the way to my house. You know, two of my friends, both of them are palm sex now in, in Nigeria now, palm secretaries in ministries, federal ministries in Nigeria. They waited for me. They were teenagers. 17, 18, well, university. They waited for me on that day in front of my house. I never expected it. As I staggered and staggered and staggered, as I was coming, they just called me by my nickname, which is, ah, sorry, I can't tell you. <laughs> so they just called me. I was tattooed. They just called me. Then they said, oh, how are you? And they, they took me. One helped me. I said, I was going. Sat, I sat, I, so I sat uh, in front of my house. Then they said, I'm not joking. Someone, one of them gave me water, took water, you know, gargled and all of that. Just, you know, cleaned my face a little bit just to cut my breath. When I, just as I was cutting my breath, then they started with the gospel. 16 and 17, they preached, 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 preached me until I was sober. They preached me. They told me they loved me so much and all of that and they don't want me to perish. What if as I was coming, something has happened to me? I would have died. You're good to go to hell. You know, they spoke to me with the way they, but the way, they, what, the point here is that they had the courage to speak to me and to wait because they loved me. You know, I didn't give my life on that night. Of course not. 
I didn't give my life there. I, give my, I didn't give my life until age 25. But when I gave my life, later on, I told my wife, I said, those people sold the seed. They sold the seed. My life, those two boys, they sold the seed. They waited for me. They sold the seed into my life that day. They had the courage because they realized that this is not about, they didn't invite me to join. This is not about joining a church. This is about your life. For him that, if you go back, John 3, 18, please. He didn't come to condemn the world. John 3, let's start from verse 17, please. God did not send his son to, into the world to condemn the world. Keep going. But that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because they don't want me to be condemned already. They preach the gospel to me. I hope that the people in your families, your siblings, your close friends, that you say, I don't like to disturb my friend. I don't like to disturb my friend. You are not disturbing them. If you love your friend enough, you will have the courage to witness to them. Can I hear an amen from somebody? So that's the second important thing. The third thing is compassion for the needy. Taking up the responsibility to be an extension of God's love towards humanity. The reason why we give, the reason why we give, the reason why we reach out to others, the reason why we bless the poor, the reason why we serve in food kitchen, the reason why we do a program called Easter Lunch on Jesus, which we've not been able to do in the last two years because of COVID, where we put $200,000, no, sorry, $100,000 a, uh, a year that we contribute to do 2,000 food boxes at $50 each. 2,000 food boxes at $50 each. We do this and, and, and we, we plan it and carry the boxes and knock on people's doors in shelters, in different places. How many of you have been part of that program in the House of Reason? Okay, fantastic. And we knock on the doors and we give it to them. And we give them the food. It's called Easter lunch on Jesus. We do it during Easter, as you can, as you can tell. The Thursday before Easter Sunday, okay, and the Saturday, we do that. And we give out the food. Sorry, we do it from the Monday to the Thursday. Okay. We, 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 we have a partnership with Compassion Canada. We, we give out. We do um, Operation Christmas Child. Okay? Christmas gift boxes. We do all of these things. We used to do a program called um, Help for Sick Kids that we do a walkathon and raise money and donate to um, Sick Kids Hospital, Hospital for Sick Children. The reason why we do all of these things is because of the love of God. And we've taken up the responsibility. Why? Because Jesus Christ said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I didn't have clothes, I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in the hospital, you visited me. We, have a, we used to have a prison ministry also. COVID has just changed a few things. But we're, com we're coming back to all of that. We used to go to the prisons, through, particularly during this Christmas period. We go in there, we have a carol service. We have uh, uh, Apostle James, Pastor James that just came, uh, that spoke to us before I came up. You know, he, he will preach there. And, you know, we have music there, heart and soul. We sing there. You know, we do all of that. We still have all of that. The reason why we're doing all this is because of compassion. And there are not just us only. Many good churches across the world that do that. But compassion, that's the third thing. And the fourth thing is celebration of God's goodness. The celebration of the goodness of God. You must see it as a honor to gather with other Christians to celebrate God. It is not true Christianity if you want to have a relationship, just me and Jesus. That's not the real gospel. Me and Jesus alone. Because, you know, human beings, they just keep offending me. It's going to be me and Jesus. That's not true Christianity. 
True Christianity means you must be part of a body. You must be baptized into the body. What does baptized mean? Baptized means to dip completely into. Baptizo in the Greek. To dip completely into something. So you must be dipped completely into a part of the body of Christ. Baptized into the body. So there must be a part of the body of Christ in which you belong. You belong. They offend you. Yes, I agree. But you also offend them. You might not agree, but it's true. But you're part of that, just like you're part of a family. Your siblings offend you, your father offend you, your mother offend you, but you're still part of the family. Am I correct about this? Yeah. Oh, you need to see what is called, I mean, you grow up, if you grow up with siblings, you see how, you know, siblings, you fight about everything and you settle everything. Fight about everything. You even tell your mom when you were growing up, mom, I can't stand her. She can't, I can't, you know, Mom, just take her away from me. Mom, tell her. She's disturbing me. And so on and so forth. But, you know, then you grow up, you become best of friends. You need to grow up that way. It's not, it's not Christianity, but you say, I'm just at home. You know, I don't, I don't do church anymore. And some, you know, they find a very nice name for it. I don't do organized religion. So what do you do? Disorganized gospel. It's not true. There's nothing, called, there's nothing called me and Jesus at home, just me, God sees my heart. Nothing like that. That's, that's fake. You have to be baptized in the body. You must accept it, not just as a grudging obligation, but as a honor to gather with other groups of believers and celebrate. If you, if you ever know anything about history, there's a place, you have what you call the catacombs in France. They have the underground church in China, as I speak now. These were places whereby people risked, believers risked their lives to gather with other believers to celebrate the goodness of God every week. Today, as I still speak, in China, the, the house church, what they call the underground church in China, is growing rapidly. The communist government still cannot stop it because people have taken it upon themselves to say, we have to gather. So they gather together, three of them, four of them, five of them, in different, different houses, different locations, changing constantly because the government is on their heels. But they still gather to honor and to worship God. It's a honor to come together as a body of believers to celebrate the goodness of God. Has God been good to anybody? Come on, has God been good to everybody? You, all of you, went to school in this part of the world, most, if not virtually all of us. And one of the things that happens, the way they teach us in this part of the world, because I've gone to school in this part of the world also, is that you have your individual assignments, you also have group work. Is that not true? And I remember when I was doing master's degree, they told me that my individual assignment was worth 50% of the mark. I was excited, yay, I can do everything I do, I'm going to score. But you know what, guess what? Pass mark was 50%. There's, if you only need to miss one or two points and you have failed, if you're counting only on your individual work. Group work, 50%. So, and I got into my group. There were six of us. For the three, first three meetings we met, it was a fight. I got so frustrated, I was going to quit. If I, it was the type of fight that it would take Jesus to settle. So one day I had to speak up in the place. After praying seriously to the Prince of Peace to come and reign. So I now, before one person started speaking and he was scattered the whole thing, I just said, excuse me guys, I'm going to, um, can I just say something today? So I spoke. And when I spoke, trusting God for the grace and the anointing. Because Paul the Apostle says, my preaching and my speech, not just preaching, was with power. So the speech apparently was with power. So it calmed everybody down. And that's why we were able to do the group work and succeed. 
My point is that you need both the group work and your individual work to succeed. You need both the corporate worship and your personal worship to succeed in Christianity. Give Jesus a big round of applause for that. So if something is trying to stop you from the corporate worship, you pray. You don't quit. You pray. You pray. You pray. These four things, guys, must be in place. What's the first one? Conviction on fundamental doctrines. Is that right? Can we run through those fundamental doctrines again? God, man, sin, Jesus Christ, salvation, final judgment, eternity. There are seven of them, right? There are seven of them. And it's very easy to, to put in your head. God is number one. Or eternity is number seven. Jesus is in the middle. Check it. Is that true? Uh -huh. So it's very simple to put in your head. So it, this is not a difficult thing at all to put in your mind. So you can know it. God, number one. Eternity, number seven. And before eternity is final judgment. Okay? Jesus is in the middle, number four. And before Jesus is sin. After Jesus, salvation. So you see, you almost captured everything. And after God, now it's man. After the, the whole thing, you see, it's not difficult at all. You need, these are the fundamentals. So after the conviction of fundamental doctrine is what? The courage. Courage to witness. And after the courage to witness is what? Compassion for the needy. Is that right? And number four is celebration of God's goodness. Stand on your feet like a champion. <laughs>